In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. It is truly wonderful to be with you today at my spiritual home. Now, a cathedral is always a diocesan bishop's spiritual home, as you know. A cathedral holds the cathedra, the bishop's seat or bishop's chair, and is the spiritual center of a diocese. While a bishop visits all the congregations in her or his diocese, by tradition, the cathedral is a place where the bishop is a little bit more often, typically for Christmas Eve and much of Holy Week, Easter, and most ordinations. All of this has been true for me as your bishop. But this cathedral is home for me in a deeper way than the usual bishop-cathedral relationship, because my family is also here. Megan and our boys are here most Sundays while I'm off visiting other congregations around our diocese. And because they are finding ways to grow and connect here at St. Paul's, that means I also get to connect here. And so, for example, I find myself here most Monday evenings, not as bishop, but as dad, <laughs> bringing my boys to chorister practice and then taking them home. And I've enjoyed being here for other events too, not in my official capacity as bishop, but as your friend. Compline, Evensong, concerts and other events that you offer in person and online have helped nourish my spirit. And so this morning, I wanna share with you that I am so grateful for this cathedral of St. Paul's and for the leadership and kindness of your marvelous dean, Dean Churchwell, her staff, and all of you. This cathedral is a blessing, not only to our diocese, but to me. Thank you. Today, though, I am here in my official capacity as your bishop. Today is my typical Sunday visitation that I do every week in different congregations around Oklahoma, not just celebrating the Eucharist and preaching, but confirming as we did at our earlier service today, leading the adult forum, and meeting after this service with the dean and vestry. And I am pleased to be doing so on one of the most important Sundays of the church year. All Saints Sunday. Today is one of only seven principal feasts, as they're called in the prayer book, along with Christmas and Easter, Epiphany, Ascension Day, Pentecost, and Trinity Sunday. But I must say, and I'll be honest, our revised common lectionary really lets us down today. Quick background as to why I say that. 
A few years ago, the Episcopal Church moved from our prayer book lectionary to the Revised Common Lectionary, or RCL, to put us more in line with other Christian denominations. Often, the readings line up pretty closely with the old prayer book lectionary, but our readings today do not in a particularly unfortunate way. Because the RCL readings today mimic what happens in so many different denominations on All Saints Day. They focus on our own personal losses rather than on the great saints of the sanctoral calendar. And so the RCL gives us today, in effect, funeral readings, as you may have noticed. We have the raising of Lazarus from John with its foreshadowing of resurrection. And the Revelation and Isaiah passages about God wiping away all tears at the final heavenly banquet. Now, don't get me wrong, remembering our loved ones who have died is a part of All Saints Day because we remember that all the baptized are called to live saintly lives and that the communion of saints, the great cloud of witnesses, includes not only the heroes of the faith known to all, but also those faithful heroes known to only a few of us. But today's readings, in overemphasizing the personal and familial, lose the plot a bit. Today is chiefly about those great saints in heaven who are our exemplars in virtuous and godly living, as the Colic says. Now, I want to commend this cathedral for offering a requiem on November 2nd this past week, All Souls Day, which is actually the ideal way to remember those who are near to us, our own departed family and friends whom we love but see no longer. These two days, All Souls and All Saints, create a poignant and comforting harmony when both are kept. And the theological melody with which they harmonize is the sure and certain hope of resurrection. Today then, we focus especially on the blessed saints who pattern their lives after Christ by loving God and their neighbor to an extraordinary degree. And we resolve with God's help to follow in their footsteps, even as they followed in the footsteps of Jesus. In the old language of the church, the saints in heaven are the church triumphant, and we on earth are the church militant, as in verse 3 of the hymn for all the saints that we sang a bit earlier. Verse 3 of that hymn says, O may thy soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, fight as the saints who nobly fought of old, and win with them the victor's crown of gold. Alleluia. Those soldiers in that hymn are not someone else. They are us, 
you and me. Even as we feebly struggle against our own weakness and the evil forces that corrupt and destroy, we are supported by the saints in heaven, those who are knit together in the mystical body, who encourage and inspire us. We do our best by God's grace to fulfill our baptismal calling and become, as God gives us the ability, the saints we are meant to be. But what specifically does it look like to act in a saintly way as a disciple of Jesus in our own day? Well, we could do worse than to heed Jesus' teaching from last Sunday by loving God with all our heart and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourself. The saints were truly those who loved God and their neighbor to the end, often in extremely dangerous and difficult circumstances. But allow me to get even more specific and suggest this. To be more saint-like, we must give and forgive, give and forgive, and we must do so joyfully. First, we must give. The primary characteristic of all of the hundreds of saints in our Episcopal calendar is that they gave sacrificially of themselves for the sake of others. They gave what was most dear to them so that others could live and flourish. Some gave their very selves. St. Peter, crucified upside down by the Roman Empire. The martyrs of Japan in the 16th century. Constance and her companions, the martyrs of Memphis, Episcopal nuns and priests who gave their lives caring for victims of the yellow fever in the 19th century. Martin Luther King Jr., who sacrificed himself for the cause of racial justice. Other saints gave away all their possessions. The poor in spirit, like St. Francis, who walked about in rags. Or St. Martin of Tours, whose feast day is this coming Thursday, who cut his cloak in half to warm a beggar in the wintertime. Still others gave of their talents, like Samuel Sherashevsky in our calendar, gifted at languages, who translated the entire Bible into Mandarin Chinese in the late 1800s using a single cramped finger after he was stricken with paralysis. What will we give for the sake of others and to God's honor and glory? God willing, none of us will find ourselves in a situation in which we are called to give our actual life, but how will we give of our time talent, and treasure. For most of us, I suspect, 
Nothing is more valuable than our time. If we look at how we use our time each day, each week, each month, how much of it do we give to others? Not just to worship and to other organized ministries of the church, but being salt and light in the world wherever we are. How much time do we give to our loved ones? How much time do we give to those outside of our family and friends, to those in need? How do we use the God-given talents that we have for ourselves only or for others as well? And what of our financial resources? Our bank and credit card statements are theological documents. They show what we believe in and what we value. Like the saints, we are called to live, to give generously as we are able of our time, talent, and treasure. And secondly, the saints not only give, they forgive. It is extraordinary the degree to which the saints were able to forgive those who persecuted them following the example of Jesus, who on the cross prayed for those who killed him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Our own Saint Paul prayed for his accusers before he was martyred. Saint Perpetua, in the year 202, actually helped and comforted the young soldier who was ordered to execute her because he was so nervous and inept at the task. And our own David Pendleton Okerhater, our own Oklahoma saint, forgave and overcame racism, was ordained a deacon, and served his people. To be a saint is to be a peacemaker, a reconciler, to forgive those who harm us, however deep the wound, to know we are blessed even when we are reviled. Who is God calling each of us to forgive today? What bitterness are we holding on to, poisoning no one but ourselves? We are called as Christians to strive to live saintly lives by loving God and our neighbor and by both giving of what is precious to us for the sake of others and forgiving those who hurt us. As we celebrate those who were confirmed a little bit earlier today, we promise as a whole community to help them grow in their saintliness too, in their imitation of our Savior. None of us grows alone. The church is a school for discipleship, and all of us fellow students. And last of all, God calls us to give and to forgive joyfully, not grudgingly. There never was a saint who gave reluctantly or who forgave bitterly. 
That doesn't mean it was easy to give and forgive. Often it was very hard. But they did so with gratitude for all that they had been given and for all the forgiveness they themselves had received from their loving God. My friends, to be a saint is not to be blandly pious or perfect or pure. To be a saint is to love fiercely because we have been fiercely loved, to give abundantly because we have been abundantly blessed, and to forgive genuinely because all our own sins have been washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Amen.